I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, it's uh, the 10th of January right now. This podcast won't be released probably until the end of January. But it's going to be my fifth episode with Rory McDougall. And we're going to continue traveling around the world with Rory. Got some comments from listeners that this is one of their favorite series that I've done so far on the podcast. So I'm looking forward to continuing that. Also, I got a letter from a listener uh, suggesting that I contact Jim Brown with Outrig.org. And he has a podcast out there, and he tells tales. And he's a designer of catamarans. So I look forward to talking to him. I reached out to him. I've talked to him on the phone. And uh, we're going to do a cross-podcast pretty soon, hopefully on the next day or so. So what's going on with me? Well, I went snowshoeing up at the cabin. We have about four feet of snow up in the Uintas, and uh, the skiing is great. I've only been skiing once so far, and I had one of the strangest experiences that I've had while skiing. I was skiing at uh, Snowbird, and I was over in Mineral Basin, which is the other side of the mountain from where you park, and it was very, very flat light. And at one point in time, I could not tell if I was going up or down. I had total vertigo. And it's really, I think, one of the very few times that I've really felt and experienced vertigo. And I skied a few more, a few more runs after that. But I don't enjoy skiing flat light. I like bluebird days. So I, I uh, skied a few more runs after that and, and packed it in. We've got some big storms coming this way, so if you're coming out to Utah and going skiing, give me a call. Look for me. Contact me, franz1 at medsailor.com. If I have a chance, I'll go skiing with you. If not, eh, well, at least you tried, right? So, before we get on to the podcast, let me do my quick advertisement. Sign up for my email list and get eight free lessons eight of the 16 lessons of sailing, learn to sail, basic keelboat certification. And that amounts to, I think, three hours. Yeah, three hours and 18 minutes of lessons. That's about half of that audio course. I'd appreciate it if you do that. And if you do like that, if you like the style of my teaching, you might buy one of my other courses. I have three different audio courses out there. Sailing, learn to sail, basic keelboat certification, lessons for the ASA 101, and then the lessons for the ASA 103, which is the basic coastal cruising certification. And finally, if you want to go bareboat cruising and you want to get an American certification that charter companies recognize, then you need to get the bareboat cruising certification, the ASA 104. In Britain, they have another one, a different one for British sailors. But they're basically about the same information, quite honestly. The one big difference between... Uh, what you're going to get in Britain and what you're going to get in the U.S. is in the United States, uh, when you're returning to port from the sea, it's red right returning. Everywhere else in the world, it's red left returning. Uh, but uh, the international rules of the road and the domestic rules of the road, the, uh, the U.S. rules of the road, are very, very similarly worded, very subtle differences between the two. And I explain the differences in the audio course if you, uh, if you take the audio course. All right. This is going to be the second episode where I am uh, recording on YouTube at the same time that I'm going to be talking to Rory so that you can follow along if you like on YouTube as I'm zooming in and zooming out of Google Earth and Google Maps and going around to the different websites that we might talk about. The first one I did with, was with an interview with Jack. This is going to be my second attempt. So far, when I checked the statistics on YouTube yesterday, 50 people had watched it. It's not a big seller on YouTube. But uh, yeah, 
I'll try it a few more times. If it takes too much time, I'll quit it. If I get positive feedback, I may keep doing it. I will be adding a Patreon account, and I hope you will support this podcast. We are at 125 episodes. I hope I can get some people to support the podcast. That's what I'm hoping. I'm doing it at the suggestion of my buddy Jack Andrews. And I've thought about it. I've had a, a Donate Here button up on the website for years. And one person, one woman, actually uh, donated $30. And I want to thank you for that. If you're still listening to the podcast, and I hope you are. All right. With that introduction out of the way, let's get on to my interview with Rory. All right. I'm back with Rory McDougal. Rory, we haven't talked in a couple of weeks. I guess you got the flu last week. How are you feeling now? Yeah, back in uh, back in the saddle again now, uh, Franz. Um, pretty much shaking off the lurgy that uh, most people in our area have come over uh, for Christmas. And um, yeah, we're all uh, we're all good in the household again. We've now got a new addition of an eight-week-old puppy, so life's pretty busy. <laughs> all right. So you're training it then, huh? We are, or it's training us. I have this theory that pets actually train their uh, their humans just the way they like them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the last time we talked, you'd made it to Indonesia, and I've got it up here. You were in. Um, you were in. Uh, let me zoom in on it. On the island um, of or Kupang, K U P K U P A N G. Yeah, Kupang. Yeah. yeah. And you just arrived there and cleared customs. And um, let's let's continue your journey. I've got actually I've got your website up as well. I'm looking at that. Yeah, and and I, I know there's a link. I haven't had um, the sort of the time and and um, detail to upload a lot of photos to the website yet. But um, I put a link as a quite a long time ago. I uploaded a lot of photos to the to the Warren Builders and Friends page. They're not in any um, sort of chronological order, but most of the round-the-world photos are all uploaded to that um, to that link. Um, so you know, I don't know if you've ever followed that. I haven't, haven't been to that link. I'm, I'm at roryandcookie.com right now, so I looked at that. But I guess there's another yeah. website that you've got that has some more photographs. Yeah, if you if you go to uh, on my on my Rory and Cookie um, site, there's a photos page. Mm -hmm. If you look at that, there's, there's probably only about sort of 12 or so photos loaded up. And then at the bottom of that page, there should be a link um, to, uh, to just click on to, to, to get to another page where there's a lot more photos. Nope. <laughs> Nothing there. there. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to work on that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, let's not worry about it for right now. Let's just mm -hmm. continue our voyage around the world. So... So you'd cleared customs, and you heard the call to prayer, and uh, yeah. let's, let's continue from there. And I think we talked about, um, I talked about last time, I think some of the um, bureaucratic red tape to, uh, to organize a, a, a voyage itinerary and cruising permit and all that sort of stuff. So, so we were there, we'd cleared in, and um, we were starting to sort of enjoy the sights and sounds and the and the lovely different foods obviously available ashore um, when we got to uh, to Kupang. But uh, within about sort of three or four days of settling in, it was time to get going because I was always very evident that uh, 2,000 miles lay ahead to get to Singapore all the way through Indonesia. And uh, again, we were going through the sort of the fairly, um, the light wind doldrum, sort of slight monsoon type uh, time of year. So um, we chose that time because, of course, the other time of year is a strong northwest monsoon against you. Um, so, so we had to just sort of uh, put up with light winds and uh, capricious breezes and do the best we could. Um, so we took off, and our first aim was to head, head along the island chain. Um, from Timor, we went to the island of Flores, and we are aiming for... Uh, a place called Barong, which is midway along the south coast. And uh, that was sort of the, the real start of learning the patience of sailing through Indonesia, because we got to within sight of uh, Barong within about three days from, from, from Kupang, 
And then we just sat there and we actually were in sight of the, the harbor or the, the inlet there for about two days. <laughs> and we couldn't get any closer. A, a slight little breeze would come in for an hour or so. We'd make a mile or two and then the current would sweep us back a little bit. And we were just literally just bobbing around, drifting around and and existing aboard. And uh, Toto and I just telling stories, swimming, trying to keep the heat off our heads with uh, awnings and um, cooking bread, all that sort of thing. And uh, starting to get the message in life that sometimes if you, if you put yourself out in the ocean without an engine, uh, occasionally you get to be just another piece of flotsam that just gets to gets gets to just sort of drift backwards and forwards with the tides and uh, and all the other sort of bits of debris that are caught up in the uh, in the swirls of currents out there and um, that's all you are <laughs> so you left you, just... you left Kupang and you're heading uh, you're heading west did yes. you which which island were you heading for um, it, it, at the time, it's called Flores. I think it might be ch changed its name now, but uh, it's the large island, um, pretty much just to the west of uh, of Timor. Okay. And, okay. Uh, Palu Sumba and, uh, is is what it looks like it's called now. P a l u s u m b a. So that's the one just to the uh, just to the west of. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So as you can see, it took took quite a few days just to get there. Um, and then, um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> and then we stopped there for a um, for about uh, two days, and it was lovely. We got to witness a uh, a local banana boat, um, just a sort of about a forty foot uh, trading boat, come and anchor right up on the shoreline, and then a, a sort of a chain gang of of people just unloading and then loading back up again, and um, just sort of witnessing how. Our trade and commerce was, uh, you know, has been carried out for years before machinery got involved. And uh, going ashore, uh, we would always uh, become the Pied Pipers wherever we went because being off the beaten track, a lot of um, the Indonesians hadn't really seen even backpackers in some of the villages we were uh, visiting. So we would have an entourage of very happy, um, smiley people, uh, always wanting to talk and find out where we are, where we're going. Uh, what we're doing, that sort of thing. And, um, of course, all the little kids would be running around going, hello, mister, hello, mister. Which I, I guess they learned that at an early age. <laughs> Not the only English that they <laughs> can speak. But uh, Indonesian is quite uh, quite straightforward to, to learn. Um, there's very little grammar. Um, you know, if you, if, you were, if you learn the word to walk, which is jalan, then to run is jalan jalan. <laughs> oh, just just twice, and, huh? Uh, that's right. Yes, and the and the guttural sounds of it are very like English, so there's not any um, very different throat sounds to make. So, uh, Toto had been through Indonesia before traveling, and he was already a good step ahead with the rudiments of the language. So, we picked it up pretty quickly, and uh, of course, that makes so much difference when you um, want to interact with uh, and get to know folks ashore. Now it looks so like it's about 180 miles to get uh, get across to that island to the closest point. How long did that take you to get over there? It took us about five days to get to the uh, to the um, town or the uh, the village of Barong. As I said, it's about halfway along the uh, the south coast of of that island, and uh, so we were really basically just um, making. On average, when, when I look back on it, we were making about sort of possibly a good day would be about 50 miles a day uh, with the breezes because nothing stayed in for very long. In fact, we were just sort of waiting for thunderstorms or, or cloud banks to come in and they would give us a bit of breeze for a few hours and then cut out again. So we had a, a, a very long amount of calms um, to get through. But uh, we had good company aboard. We always had lots of food, and there was no real issue as long as you just kept your patience uh, about it all. And once we got to Barong, we went ashore, as I said, and uh, one evening walking back to the boat, we were invited to, to, to just sort of join in with the end-of-day um, shower session at one of the village wells where a whole bunch of folks were, um, were gathering for their uh, afternoon uh, wash-down and a bloop. 
And so we stripped off down to shorts and uh, joined in and uh, throw water over each other and laughing and joking and that sort of thing. And then all retired uh, back for a coffee at somebody's house afterwards. So just the whole spirit and the, and the nature of everybody was just absolutely friendly and fantastic. Now, so I'm yeah. looking. I'm looking at Google Earth on that, and it looks like that that island. And if this is the one just to the west, uh, Palu Sumba, it looks like mm. there's. A, it's pretty steep along the south coast there. Am I? Am, yes. Okay. So not that. Not very many places to pull in there then. No. In fact, the the place we pulled in was really just a slight sort of a a slight bay on the south coast there, and. Um, you know, if we had a stiff southerly breeze uh, of any quarter come in, we would have had to leave straight away. Um, so we, we, you know, we didn't stay there. It wasn't going to be a very protected spot to stay. But there was a township there, um, what, what I saw on my charts. So it was, it was, we chose the south coast because that was more on our route um, to get to uh, to Komodo. That was our, um, our our aim on this part of the leg was to sail along that, um, that sort of southern coastline and then get up to uh, the island of Komodo, which is uh, nestled in between the next sort of set of islands, and go and, go and explore and have a look for the, the infamous Komodo dragons. Did you have some wind to get to Komodo then, or how was it going with that one? Well, again, we sort of um, we drifted our way, half drifted, half sailed our way. It probably took about, uh, again, a few days to get just along the south coast of uh, of um, Flores or Sumbawa and, uh, and get to Komodo. We actually, again, there was quite stiff currents in the, um, in the passage between the islands there. So we spent a bit of time just getting washed backwards and forwards with the other debris <laughs> and flotsam. And finally, we made our way uh, <coughs> after a few days, excuse me, <coughs> into, uh, into Komodo. And then life was a bit different because obviously it's still a, still very much uh, off the beaten track, but there's more tourism that goes there. Um, people that are um, enticed by the uh, by the dragons and to view them. So we anchored in the bay there, which is quite a quite a quite a, a good protected bay, a bit open to the south uh, east, but um, quite protected otherwise. And we spent about two days in Komodo. We went ashore. We actually booked in and, and went on one of the guided tours where they. Um, they have a captured goat that's already been uh, slaughtered and they tie it up into a tree and, and they raise it up above the dragons at feeding time. Again, a bit of a spectacle for, for tourism. Um, and it's a draw card to make sure you're guaranteed to see some of the dragons. But um, no, it's interesting. And of course, Toto and I, because <coughs> we're staying on the boat, yeah, Toto wanted to go and see the dragons up close and for real, not just a, uh, a tourist attraction. So we uh, we rode ashore one afternoon and kind of walked down the beach a little while and then headed off into the bush to actually um, try and carefully seek out uh, some dragons. And um, we had a bit of a laugh because, of course, we're, we're softly creeping through the, uh, through the bushes and, and that sort of thing, the scrub. And um, suddenly we obviously scared a wild boar which just leapt out of the uh, bush with a big scream and a cry and, and, and ran away from us. But, of course, you know, our hearts stopped. <laughs> we thought we were getting attacked by one of the, one of the big lizards. <laughs> and uh, we, had, we had a good laugh about that. So how big are these uh, dragons? Are they about five feet, six feet long? Yeah, they can. I mean, the bodies can certainly get up to about sort of four or five feet long. And then with their tails, they get up to sort of six to eight feet long. And uh, they, they're like a, just a, a very big lizard. Um, and uh, and they, they, their main sort of diet is sort of small rodents and uh, things like deer. There are quite a lot of deer on the island. And I think they actually um, they raise the deer and, and set them uh, free just so that there is a good food source to maintain the, um, the, the numbers of the dragon on the, uh, on the island. Now, there's not really much of uh, of a settlement of any sort on the island, is it? It's a national park, it looks like. That's right, yeah, just a national park. There's a main area, like rangers' huts and uh, and a centre. And um, there's a little village nearby um, to the south, which I, to be honest, I forget the name of it, which we actually sailed over to um, for, for an afternoon 
just to go ashore and, and revittle a little bit, get a few more supplies before we carry it on. Because from, from Komodo, our next sort of aim was to sail uh, over the top of the islands this time, over the top uh, of Komodo, and then head west again towards Lombok, and then down into the channel and head uh, to Bali and, uh, and the port of Benoa, which is on the southeast sort of corner of, uh, of Bali. So, so that was our, our, our next aim. And uh, we sort of set off from, uh, from Komodo one afternoon and uh, had, a, had a beautiful sail. We had actually finally had a bit of breeze come in, which we capitalized on. And uh, I had one of those magical experiences with phosphorescence as the sun went down. There was glitter in the sea. Now, obviously, you get quite a few different types of phosphorescence in different parts of the world. Um, sometimes it's just a, a green glow that uh, is, is sort of stuck to the hull. And on Cookie, of course, being a catamaran, you can sit on one hull and view the other hull sailing along. It's one of the advantages, obviously, of being on a cat that you, you get to see your own boat sail along. Um, and and uh, on that kind of phosphorescence, you get the glowing green streaks behind the boat. Other times, of course, you get the you just disturbing patches or or organisms, and there's these bright flashes, almost like a firework display under the boat. Other times, like on the top of uh, Komodo, we had this flame, just gr green, large green glitter in the sea. So as the waves were coming over on deck, the spray. Um, it would wash the phosphorescence aboard, and you just get these little spots of, glow, of, of quite bright green, um, the size of a sort of, uh, I guess, um, what I say, about a couple of millimeters across, about sixteenth of an inch across, and uh, they would just keep glowing green on the decks of the boat for um, quite a few minutes before they lost their, um, their, uh, I guess, their glow. Sort and of like you could so, actually do. Sort of like fireflies, then, huh? Just about, yeah, yeah, and you could actually pretty much sort of just pick up a piece of um, phosphorescence, the glow on the end of your finger, and start it on the on the upturned dinghy on the foredeck. I could actually just use it to smear and just about write my name in glowing ink. Wow. <laughs> I know it's just fantastic. And <coughs> while I'm on the uh, you know topic of phosphorescence, there were other times uh, during the uh, Indonesian experience that. Um, we came across some phosphorescence that it was a calm night. We were just sailing along very gently, and I was using the flashlight or the torch to just um, shine something on deck, either our course where on the compass or something like that. And I noticed a, a, a bright patch of phosphorescence right beside the boat. So I put two and two together and thought, well, maybe it's light sensitive. And it certainly was. What I could do is actually paint the ocean beside the boat with the flashlight. So the so the 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 the, um, the beam of light as it played on the surface of the water would actually illuminate the phosphorescence and uh, it would react to it and then it would glow glow in that patch or or the squiggle that you made it would keep glowing for the next um, you know few seconds uh, as we s switched off the light and sailed away so I've never heard of fantastic. that before that's that's interesting I've never I've never heard that so that's that was that did you see that often or was that unique to that area. Probably unique to that area. I haven't seen it uh, outside of Indonesia, and almost that was just that one night that I, I happened to notice that. Of course, it might have happened on other nights as well, but I wasn't using the flashlight or, or that sort of thing. But um, no, that was quite um, quite special. Wow. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, we were heading off uh, off down to uh, Lombok, and again, it took us a. Uh, I think about three or four days to thread our way across the top of the islands there. Um, we ended up staying one night at a, at a, in the lee of one very small island. It was only about a, about half a mile across called Satonda. And um, that was quite, a, quite an amazing island because we took a trip ashore and literally uh, there was almost the majority of the island was a, was a, was a lake inside. So it must have been a crater of an old volcano. It was literally just the, the tip of it was the was the circumference of the island, and there was a big, big sort of fairly fairly stagnant um, pond in the middle. And uh, and then at sunset, as the as the sun went down, 
the whole island trees erupted in fruit bats, which all took off and, and blew off to the uh, larger island beside. And so we just had a real sense of being very close to nature all the time. Um, just obviously, every island that you sailed past was so magnificent, very, very tall, um, uh, mountainous relief, uh, because Indonesia really is quite, quite the volcanic um, line on, on the sort of the edge of an old tectonic plate. And, uh, and so you kind of get the, get the idea and the view around you that um, it's all fairly, fairly new land um, sort of carved up and, and erupted up out of the sea. And of course, all the terraces and, and, uh, and farmland going up these islands are very fertile. So as you say, I'll past, even on steep, um, steep islands, there's a lot of terraces of, of agriculture and farming going on up the sides. So there was always so much to see when you're um, sailing past the, um, past the land. <clears throat> so I'm looking and at we, Lombok and it looks like it's a volcanic island with a, uh, with a big crater at the top of the island and a, and a lake inside that crater. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we managed to sail around the top of the um, north of the island and then down through there some islands I think called the Gili Air Islands, which are quite well known in Indonesia for diving. Um, so the, the water's crystal clear there, of course, and, um, and the islands have got beautiful um, sort of white sandy beaches around them and some good coral reefs. In fact, almost everywhere we went, when we actually did put a mask and stalker on, the, the, the coral uh, and, the, and the underwater life was just some of the best I've ever seen. But um, on the flip side, though, uh, it was not as prolific in, in fish life and uh, marine life. Obviously, the corals were, were really pristine, but there didn't seem to be as much fish life. And Occasionally, we'd be sailing along the edges of uh, these islands, and you would actually hear the uh, the underwater detonation of uh, of dynamite, um, which is a real shame because I think some of the fishermen, out of desperation, out there, uh, were at the time using dynamite to just shock the fish in their area and then just scoop them up as they're all dead and floating to the surface. So, a pretty uh, pretty sad state of affairs um, for the fishing. Wow. You know, that's sort of like yeah. the Mediterranean. When you get to the Mediterranean, it's been fished for so many years that you don't see very much close to shore. They're all in deep water. Uh, yeah. Or most of them, anyway. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, the stocks are getting low. Um, so, yeah, we, we sailed down past those lovely islands, the Gilliers, and through them and got to, um, again, not, nothing, not, no real harbor. I think we just were carrying on to get to Bali, um, but... We ended up sort of hugging shorelines just because they were more interesting rather than striking straight across a, uh, um, a straight line, run line, if you like. <coughs> so we uh, sailed down the, the western edge of, uh, of Lombok until we were going to be pretty much um, due, due east of the, of the main harbor on, uh, on Bali. And then we just strike across the passage, which is about, I think, uh, in memory, about sort of 10, 15 miles across. So, uh, so that afternoon the wind completely died, and that's the other good good aspect of being closer to to land is that when we had so many calms, it gave us a nice uh, distraction that instead of sitting in the middle of a channel not going anywhere, we could be near enough to an island to perhaps paddle in, put the anchor down, and uh, and then go ashore and explore and and at least be doing something interesting while we're waiting for some wind to come in. So that afternoon we went ashore and. Uh, Found a little village and invited, uh, invited a couple of guys to come back and have a look at the boat. And their eyes were pretty, uh, pretty agog <laughs> at, uh, <coughs> at uh, <coughs> what we were living on. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, and uh, and and they invited us back uh, to their um, their homes for some coffee and that sort of thing as well. So just um, good times. And uh, now this was on the island of Bali, right? This was on Lombok. Oh, Lombok. And then, okay. uh, yeah, we just, uh, that was our sort of farewell to Lombok that afternoon. And then we, uh, that night, we sailed overnight to, to Bali. And uh, it's a good sort of southerly breeze that, that pulled in. And so uh, we made a, a nighttime landfall into, into Bali and Banoa Harbor. Quite easy, though, because it's a big, um, big commercial port as well. 
and uh, a little anchorage near near a sailing club uh, as well. So, now that's so yeah, on, we that, headed off. That's on the south. That's on that's on the south end of the island, right? Yeah, south south uh, eastern tip. Right. Um, okay. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and yes, we we we. Um, Got into a good anchorage there, fairly protected. It's where the majority of uh, boats in Bali do anchor. And um, so we started, that was our first sort of social call, if you like, with um, with other cruisers. And it was quite good because there was a um, an Australian boat that we met up with uh, that had a nurse aboard. And uh, at that point, that was one of my sort of good questions to ask her was, um, I'd always carry the uh, malaria pills aboard, like um, I think Paladine or Laraquin. Uh, just to sort of um, have it in case of high high risk areas, and uh, you know, if you go to the, any doctors, they'll tell you the whole of Indonesia is a high risk area. But as you're sailing, you know that also that the coastlines are a lot less prevalent for the malaria um, sort of born mosquitoes. So you've got to you, you've got to be a bit sensible about it. And I asked the nurse. I said, "Well, do you take them? Do you take these um, um, you know the prophylactic pills to?" To ward it off, um, day in, day out, week after week, as you were sort of sailing through, and she said, "No, not at all. You know, you you you, you suffer, you can suffer some side effects from the um, from the long-term uh, pill, um, and also she said that um, what they give you if you do catch malaria is just a massive dose of the same pill. Oh, and she okay. said that that uh, if you actually get it, uh, get malaria, and you have been taking the um, the Laraquin or, or such, then um, your reaction to the drug to help you get over it will be less lessened. So she said, you know, most people just go ahead and take all the precautions you can, you know, cover up, uh, slap on the mozzie repellent, do what you can to not get uh, so many bites and, and, and don't stray too far in, inland if you can help it and uh, you should stay okay. Otherwise, um, you know, if you get the symptoms, go to any hospital because they're well prepared for it. They, they deal with it all the time. Um, so, yeah, that was quite good advice coming from, you know, somebody that uh, was fairly local at that part of the world and, um, and in a medical, medical sort of profession. Um, but in Bali, in Bali was good. It was a good stopover. Um, we needed a bit of rest from sailing and, uh, and trying to catch every little um, puff of breeze. So we were there for about, I think, six days a week. I'd planned to go off inland uh, and do a bit of a, uh, a stay in a hostel ashore and meet up with some, just I guess, backpackers and do a bit of tourist trail and go and see some of the um, the, the temples and the sites uh, inland. And uh, unlike any time, I think, uh, with any sort of friends or crew aboard boats, it's always good to have a bit of uh, space apart as well. So I think Toto was happy to, to chill out aboard. And I also met up with a, uh, a guy that was throughout the whole Warham, Warham uh, Catamaran Network, a guy called Colin, who was actually building himself a 28-footer, uh, 28-foot Warham Cat in, um, in Denpasar, the main um, capital of uh, Bali. And uh, so we met up with him and uh, oodled over his build and inspired him to keep going. And uh, likewise, took him out to Cookie to inspire him to <laughs> hopefully finish and, and get out there and do some voyaging. So um, it was a uh, it was a good visit, and we managed to revictual again, get some a lot more supplies aboard in uh, in Bali, ready for. We wanted to sort of take quite a quite a good concerted effort to make some miles from then on, because um, we had a lot of miles to make to get up to uh, to Singapore, and uh, and after we left Bali, uh, you head across the sort of the Java Sea to the island of uh, Madura, which is on the on the west, sorry, eastern side of the large island of Java, <coughs> <coughs> and uh, so we we took off and kept kept sailing along the coast until we were about um, maybe about 50 miles or so along the north coast of Java, and from then on we headed straight north up um, up towards Belitung and the uh, and the islands. Sort of halfway up uh, the whole Indonesian archipelago. Okay, so so you went north to the to the big island just north of that, which is, I think it's Kalimantan. I don't know. Let's see. Okay. All right. 
East Kalimantan, West Kalimantan. So that's the island just north of Java, or or the one to the west of Java. The one to the um to the north of Java, Kalimantan, is a big island. Yeah? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a long one. And then what you have is between there and I think it's um. What's the other one? It's um. I think it used to be. Uh, is it Borneo? Not Borneo. Um, the one on the um, to the to the east of that, to the northeast of it, is another large island. And between them is is two smaller islands called Belitung and. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. There's Belitung right um, there. And uh, Belitung and another one, I think Sajuk or something like that. I think. Baka Belitung Island. So there's two islands there. And one's Palu yeah. Belitung, and the other ones. Another Palu, and yeah, they're both called. Well, then, then the other one is Bangka. Bangka, yeah, B A N G K A. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. So that was our sort of that. We wanted to sort of head for those, stop off there, um, and maybe re, re um, provision if we needed it, stop on some more fresh goods, and then head from there. Again, there was a fairly open stretch to sort of head up towards the islands. Which is just south of uh, Singapore, uh, there's the island of Batam, um, which was was our aim is to get to Batam because of course, on Cookie we we always had very limited um, resources and, and finance, so there's no point in pulling up to um, to the big marinas in in Singapore and, and spending a fortune. Whereas in Batam, just to the south, there was a uh, reportedly a fairly good anchorage. And uh, daily ferries that would zip across the uh, straits there and get over to Singapore. So, so that was our that was our aim. That was our plan. And um, so we we took off, and that was the first bit of sort of open sea through Indonesia that we um, started to go through. And again, we just had to bide our time and and uh, use the breezes that we could. And uh, now, now, and bottom, our... did you did you anchor or did you go into a uh, some sort of a an area there and because it looks like there's lots of places to anchor through there. Yeah, up at Batam, we, um, we we sailed around the northern side of Batam, and uh, and then around uh, there's a big sort of open bay uh, on the north side, northwest side, and that's where we headed into there and got an anchorage and in, in, uh, tucked up inside there. That's where the big ferry port is as well that uh, goes over to. Um, to Singapore, so it made it very easy. I wanted to head to Singapore at this stage because uh, I wanted to pick up some supplies for Cookie. I wanted to get a um, an actual uh, a masthead light because we had some we had a battery and uh, electricity board. But up to this point, I'd always used a strobe light up in the rigging, just a diver's strobe light to um, to alert our position to vessels. But, but from here on in, we were heading up into. A, um, an area, obviously, the, the Straits of Malacca. We could expect a lot of shipping. And then, obviously, further on down the track, uh, we were going to be heading into um, the, uh, the Red Sea as well. So with a lot of, lot of uh, you know, congestive waterways uh, coming up, I thought it would be best to put a, um, a light on the top of the mast and, and be able to have a fixed light at times um, just to alert our presence. So, so I wanted to do that. I wanted to... Get some good, good quality um, lashing line to redo the lashings of the beams and make sure Cookie was just very, uh, very well um, checked over with all the rig, beams, uh, and that sort of thing before um, undertaking the next part of the journey. So I took a ferry over to uh, Singapore and ended up staying in a um, backpacker hostel for a couple of nights uh, while I was going and finding the chandleries. And then I found a, um, found a nice. Um, street full of uh, Chinese um, engineers that could uh, make me a nice stainless steel bracket uh, to go up on top of the mast as well because um, my previous system for having the main main sail halyards and the spinnaker halyard was to have rope strops through the uh, mast crane at the top and they they would chafe uh, pretty badly so I ended up uh, going with a, a nice flat stainless steel plate at the top of the mast with tangs or forward and after to hang the um, the blocks off, so things like that I needed to get done, and um, and Singapore was the perfect place to to do it. Yeah. Now, when you were at Singapore, I think it was probably fairly reasonably priced. I think it's become a much more expensive city since then. 
I think, I mean, at the time it was uh, touted to be very, very, um, very clean, and it was, by all accounts, very clean, and uh, there was fines for people if you uh, dropped a bit of litter or big heavy fines if anyone was caught spitting and that sort of <laughs> thing. So they were really on the, on the, um, uh, what's the word, on the campaign to really smarten the place up. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was quite affordable, I think, as far as the ferries going across and uh, backpacker hostel, that sort of thing. And of course, everywhere you go through Indonesia, you can you can eat like a king. Um, you could get all of the What was so lovely is all of the uh, street sellers. And they had their, their, their big walks on top of <coughs> a nice little <coughs> homemade cart with a gas burner and that sort of thing. And uh, you get all these mee goreng, you know, uh, spicy noodles that sort of thing, for literally about 75 cents or a dollar US, a big full meal. So um, even on a meager budget, uh, you could still um, eat out and enjoy yourself for sure, that's for sure. So how uh, long were you in these areas? Between I was in, the, in Singapore. We were there for approximately a, a week, a week to eight, yeah, I think about eight days there because um, obviously we got there, Settled in for a day or two, got our bearings as you do, and then um, I went across to Singapore, picked up the supplies. I think I was there for about three or four days, and then um, we beached Cookie. We sailed back out of this sort of fairly muddy bay that we were in, back onto the north shore of Batam, where there was a um, we'd already sailed past a sandy beach, and we put the boat. There was a, you know a little bit of tide going up there, about sort of um, three or four feet, so enough to be able to dry Cookie out. I could drop the mast take the um, weight off all the lashings uh, on the beams and redo them, that sort of thing. So we, we had the boat sort of in in dry dock, as you as you might say, for a, uh, a couple of days up on the beach. And uh, then, we, then we had another couple of days just to prepare and get ready for the next leg and clear out with customs and, and get ready to sail up the uh, Malacca Strait. So there was a bit of a tide here. How many feet? You said about three feet, you said? Well, actually, a bit more. It was about maybe even four or five feet, um, and we we noticed it heavily through the through the, sorry through the Singapore Straits, and even approaching uh, Batam on the uh, on the island channels as we were approaching, we found that uh, at one point when we were becalmed in in between um, you know in a channel between two islands, there was a good amount of uh, of tide, you know, a couple of knots, two to three knots, and um, didn't quite know what the depth of water was. Our charts was fairly uh, fairly vague on that. So uh, I had a, a hundred meters of um, of anchor rope and a bit of chain. So you know about 300 feet, and um, we put that down, and it held, and it was down at quite a quite a steep angle, but it was thrumming. The whole that anchor line was thrumming along because we were still becalmed, but uh, there was a good three knots of uh, of tide. Um, <coughs> sweeping uh, against us so at times uh, we sort of learned as well that by by trying to get your progress as efficiently as you can if you sail closer to the shore and in areas that you can anchor when you did get becalmed you could sort of take a leaf out of some of the racing boys where um, if they're on a race and they they have a you know calm and and then the tide turns against them. They want to be in it in in water that's shallow enough to anchor so that you don't lose all your all your hard fought ground. Hmm. <laughs> so we started to adopt that that sort of ethos a little bit with Cookie because of course she's so shallow, so your draws a couple of feet and we we could actually hug the coastlines and that was the in essence that was the um, approach I took heading up the uh, Malacca Strait. I stayed on the Malaysian side rather than the Indonesian side. So we, we, we hugged, the, um, hugged the, <coughs> excuse me, the eastern shore of the, uh, of the strait. And, uh, and there was quite a few times that we did anchor um, just to stop ourselves going backwards. Okay, so you went right by Singapore and straight up the Malaccan Strait. How long did that take you to get through there? Did you have uh, winds with you, or were you or was it uh, becalming? How long did it take you to get up? It, there was quite a quite a yeah change of winds there because we were we were still sort of on the edge of uh, of, of we weren't quite into any trade winds at this point, um, and you've got so much big land masses around that uh, that play play sort of havoc with 
breezes. You've got sometimes you've got land breezes coming at night and sea breezes in the afternoon, that sort of thing. Um, so we got we got uh, quite a bit of headwinds heading up the Malacca Strait. We did a fair bit of tacking. Um, it, we we were heading from Singapore and our destination was Penang, and I believe that um, excuse me that took us about uh, ten days to do that um, that passage. And we, we anchored a lot at night when the uh, wind went calm. And then um, we were ready to sort of pick the anchor up again in the early hours of the morning, like about three o'clock, once a sort of a land breeze started to sort of uh, fall off the hills and, and uh, come along. And Cookie doesn't need a lot, even when she's loaded up and cruising. If there's five knots of uh, breeze, like a force two, we can trickle along at about three knots, four knots, um, as long as we're not tacking into it. Um, especially at a reach, uh, Cookie will get along quite nicely with just a light breeze. So, uh, <coughs> excuse me. So although we were we were anchoring quite a lot, it was still sort of a, a case of your your um, preparation was was though you were still on passage. So you put the anchor down, but you were just ready, almost keeping on watch, waiting for the wind to uh, to fill in again. So you were hugging the uh, Indonesian side all the way up past. Up across from where you would have been Malaysia right after you got out of Singapore, and yeah, uh, we we hugged the Malaysian side on the um on the sort of the mainland, if you like, and uh, okay. and headed up there up to we we even we even went into Malacca town itself, which was great. It was just around a Christmas time, uh, in uh, this would have been nineteen ninety Christmas ninety six, and. Uh, we left Singapore, and uh, as we sort of headed up the coast, we just happened to find it wasn't pre-planned. We just found ourselves just before Christmas, uh, pretty much Christmas Eve, off the coast of, uh, of the Malacca town itself at night, and uh, the breeze was um, just dying again. And so uh, I saw it on the chart, and I said to uh, I said to Toto, "Well, why don't we see if we let's let's explore?" It was only a small river. Uh, wasn't a very big commercial river by any standards. Um, so we, we thought, well, let's give it a try and see whether we can paddle hard and, and, and get the boat up the uh, river. And, and how, how wonderful would it be to actually spend um, Christmas in a town and, uh, you know, see some of the sights and sounds and not just be bobbing up the coast uh, um, on passage. So, yeah, we, we, we took a, a couple of days off over Christmas and went into Malacca town itself. Looks like that and, uh, river goes up there quite a ways. Yeah, I think we uh, we ended up going about um, about half a mile up the river, and that's where a lot of the trading boats that go across to um, to Kalimantan and and those sorts of places um, they 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 pull in there and uh, they're all rafted up in, in the river. And the river's pretty grungy. I mean, there's all sorts of debris sort of floating down it. Um, but uh, we managed to raft up. We managed to get up there at about midnight, I think, and uh, pulled in. And uh, again, I just love that uh, effect of when you come in at night and everything's sort of dark and mysterious. You're trying to make out what's what and shapes and sounds and that sort of thing. And then in the morning, it all comes to life in front of you when you wake up and have a look. So Malacca Town was just so vibrant and, and full of life. Lots of uh, obviously different religions. Uh, it always struck me how... There was the Hindu and the Muslims and the Buddhists, all of these lovely um, religions, and pretty much harmoniously, side by side, they were uh, existing in the same streets. There would be different temples very close to each other. And um, we were sort of out and about exploring, and we were invited to sort of come into a, a lovely uh, Hindu temple. You had to take your shoes off as you arrive. And um, they were explaining to us that uh, at that time of year, travelers... Uh, Hindu travelers were always welcome wherever they came from um, throughout the world. They were invited in at Christmas time because they always had food on the go in the temple. So travelers were invited in to sit down and just uh, have a have a meal. And what I loved about it was the fact that um, in our in our culture and in Western society, you'd have tables and chairs, knives and forks, plates. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's a lot of work to do all that sort of thing. Whereas, um, bless them, that's fantastic. They, um, you sit on the floor cross-legged, you get this lovely clean banana leaf cut up and put in front of you like a nice square mat, and then they come along with a, um, a big um, tureen full of rice, 
clonk, you get a nice bit of rice, and then the lovely dal curry comes along. Clonk, you get some curry and a little bit of naan bread, and then you eat with your um, with your clean hand that you've washed your hand with uh, on the way on the way through the door. And after a lovely sit-down meal like that, uh, all you have to do to uh, to clean up is just pick up your banana leaf and take it out and <laughs> throw it back out into the jungle. It's great. <laughs> Simplicity in itself, yeah. So you so you stayed there for one night and then continued on, or did you stay there a couple nights? No, in Malacca we stayed a couple of nights. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I, uh, I I actually found a a local uh, TV station as we were walking, and just just off the cuff, I decided I thought I'd just pay them a visit. Managed to speak to somebody and said, explain to them what we were doing, our voyage around the world on this little boat, and take a bit of a record-breaking trip, and um, and just say, look, I'll happily do an interview if you're interested, um, and all I ask is you know put a bit of money towards a children's charity or something like that uh, in return. So I never did get to see whether <laughs> whether we were on the uh, on the news or or anything like that. Uh, in, in Malaysia, but um, we did have a, a little film crew arrive and do a little interview on board the boat um, in Malacca River, which was quite surreal. Now, how far up the river did you get? And, and you, you had to sail up there, so you had to catch the wind on the way up then, right? Well, it was flat calm at night, so no, we actually paddled hard. Um, Toto and I had a paddle, you know, one of the um, dinghy oars, and you just sit on the back deck um, where you can sort of nudge the tiller with your elbow to keep on course but you're just sort of stroking and paddling um off the aft deck and with two of us you can actually make two knots um on cookie as long as you uh, sort of keep your work rate up so so we were able to stem the flow of the of the tide i think we perhaps uh, had an, an incoming tide to help us with the um with the flow out of the river but it wasn't a very it wasn't a big river uh, and it uh, didn't flow very fast so we were lucky <laughs> <coughs> so we're about half a mile up the uh, river, pretty much uh, at the um, first set of bridges, uh, and that's as far, pretty much, as you can navigate up that small river itself. Okay. And you, and you are right in town, and um, and the other great spectacle was, of course, um, at that time of year they have the the local um, rickshaw competition. So at Christmas time, they um, all of the local rickshaw drivers, they they. They do up, or they tart up, they refurbish, they uh, they do everything they possibly can to make their rickshaw look the most gaudy and garish that they can to uh, to, to try and get the best dressed um, award. <laughs> <laughs> and they have things like their Mercedes Benz decals, they have BMW uh, wheel um, wheel sort of hub logos uh, on the sides of their wheels. They have um, stereos aboard. They have flashing lights. <laughs> all sorts of things going on <coughs> excuse me so um so that was it was just really good timing to be there for, for certain um certain things like that so i guess the next town you're going to be going to buy is the big uh big industry big town of kuala lumpur then right well we um yeah we we actually stopped at penang okay um which is pretty much on the northern um Northern edge of uh, is it Sumatra? The main, uh, I think that's it, isn't it? The the main. Um... Oh yeah, okay. So the it's on Sumatra then. Now, when you're going back and forth between Malaysia and and uh, and Indonesia, did you have to worry about customs, or did you worry about that at all? Because they're two different countries, right? Or are they the same? That's right. Yeah. yeah. No, I didn't go. I, I was going to finish. I didn't go over to Sumatra. But Penang is just about on the. I was explaining it's just about on the on the level of the north of Sumatra, as, as you know, on that same latitude. So as you sort of reach the the top end of the um, the Malacca Strait, that's where Pe the island of Penang is on the uh, Malaysian side. Okay. So we just uh, stayed on that. And we stayed up on that um, on that sort of uh, eastern seaboard, if you like, mm -hmm. um, on the way up there, and. Uh, but yes, yeah. Between all of the um, all of the countries, we had to um, uh, check in. So when we left um, when we left uh, Batam, we actually uh, left there and, um, and and 
sort of checked out with the customs and our next port of call was going to be Penang. So although we sort of hopped along and we did sort of step ashore in a couple of places, um, they're off the beaten track and that sort of thing. So we didn't actually officially clear into uh, Malaysia until we got to the island of Penang. Okay. And we went there and, and checked in with customs and that sort of thing. Um, we actually stayed there. We got to Penang just on, um, on New Year's Eve. And we got to see some of the fireworks going off and all that sort of thing. And uh, ended up spending, we, we, we gave ourselves a good week-long rest in, uh, in Penang before we were then going to head, uh, head due west from there and head straight across to Sri Lanka. Okay, so in Penang, you stayed, it uh, looks like, is there a, a, a bridge or a, a road that goes across the bay, or did you, st- where did you stay on, in, on the island of Penang? There's, it looks like there's a couple roads that go across there. There are a big couple of bridges, a couple of roads on the, um, on the sort of the, the eastern side of Penang itself, linking it to the mainland. Um, but uh, no, we, there was, there was a, a, the main commercial sort of harbor, if you like, is on the, um, on the inboard, uh, so on the um, on, on the mainland side right. mm-hmm. of of Penang, um, but it's pretty dirty and smelly. And actually, it's um, there's a lot of uh, there's I guess in some ways like a slum village that's right down by the harbour. There's a lot of um, houses on stilts, uh, which are very interesting to see. They're all sort of right down on this sort of the the, the marshy area of the, um, of the of the shoreline there, and they have sort of stilt runs. They have sort of like boardwalks. Going out uh, from the from the shore to their houses, um, but everything gets thrown in the water around there. It was quite commercial and quite grubby. So we actually, as we were sailing up to Penang, we saw right on the south south coast there was a big wide open bay right near the airport, um, and it uh, it looked um, clean, and um, and there was a nice beach there as well. And so instead of just following the, the, the norm and going where everybody else goes, we actually sailed up with the high tide and put Cookie quite close to the beach. And it just meant that at low tide, we were pretty much uh, completely um, beached. Uh, you know, we were right up on the, um, on the sand. Um, but uh, but there, was no, there was no trouble with that. There was no security issues. Uh, we were actually in a very sort of um, quiet place um, on the shoreline anyway. There wasn't. That, that much uh, settlement nearby, so uh, it was. Uh, it worked out very good. It just meant that to get into the town and and to get into the hustle and bustle, we just had to take a bus ride for about uh, 20 minutes uh, into the um, into the into the main town in Penang. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah. so you didn't get up to uh, Thailand then. You just headed uh, west from there. From I did. Yeah, because we were behind. Uh, Behind the main flow of uh, of um, migration, if you like, following the seasons, so quite a lot of uh, cruising boats were already up in Thailand during our time, because we took two months to sail from, from Darwin in Australia up to uh, to Singapore, um, and it was 2,000 miles that sort of passage to get through there, and. Um, and so a lot of other people uh, on their cruising boats would just put their iron topsail on and chug away, burn some diesel, and maintain their their um, their itinerary. Of course, we were on the flip side of having to just um, be bits of flotsam every now and again, and uh, and be patient and wait for the wind and that sort of thing. So we um, we took quite a lot longer going through Indonesia than a lot of other people. So it meant that we cut down our time to be able to visit um, uh, the the sort of the the shore of Thailand and get a bit of a, a bit of Thai experience, but that didn't matter. I mean, we'd had such an amazing experience throughout. Um, I was just sort of keen to to head out and and finally feel a bit of a trade wind on our face again, um, heading across to Sri Lanka. So was that was it a straight shot across there? Or did you stop at any of the islands in between there? No, it was fantastic. It was really great sail. Um, we we set off and we knew the forecast was going to be okay. In fact, when we were in Penang, quite often during the daytime, the um, the the land mass of, of of Malaysia would heat up, and of course it would start to pull in a um, a bit of a sea breeze. But then at night, there was a bit of a pattern emerging that uh, at night the northeasterly trade wind 
even though you're on this sort of the, the big landmass, would start to make its presence felt. So when we left, we actually left at about midnight um, from Penang to actually catch the good nor nor'easter. And we headed straight west, right for the top end of um, Sumatra, and through this gap there between a couple of islands as well. And <coughs> it was just it was just fantastic to be out in, uh, in in good winds again. So Toto and I decided that we would just we were we were in the zone with hand steering. In fact, our wind vane Harry had pretty much been put to bed throughout the whole of the Indonesian experience because. We were always hand steering and trimming sails and adjusting this, adjusting that with with every um, change of the capricious breeze. So we were just used to dinghy sailing effectively. And, uh, and once we get out into the good breeze, we just we couldn't help ourselves. We were surfing and, and, and we didn't want to relinquish the helm because it felt so good to finally have the boat going fast again. <laughs> so uh, for the first 24 hours... <coughs> <coughs> that we left from, um, from the actual coaster or the top end of Sabatra. We got a good sort of uh, 20 to 30 knot breeze. And, uh, and we just decided to carry on hand steering to see what we could possibly get out of Cookie on a day's run uh, when we pushed her hard. And it, it still stands to this day pretty much as our, uh, our, our best day's run. We, uh, between sextant sites, uh, we made a 210-mile day. That's a good day. Yeah. That's a really good day. It looks like uh, between uh, uh, Sri Lanka, I was going to say Ceylon, but it's now changed, and Penang, it's about 1,070 or about 1,080 miles. So that's a long haul. Yeah, we, we made it in uh, just over seven days. Oh, wow. So we were... We had a great, uh, yeah, we made a sort of an average of, uh, of something like about seven knots, I think, on the whole um, across there. We were making good good timing. Um, we had good solid breeze pretty much the whole way. And um, once we, we did our, our big day, we then decided to settle in and reserve our strengths and go back to sort of easy cruising and put the wind vane on. But we were still able to average sort of 150 to 170 miles a day um, with the wind vane as well. And what was interesting is that, uh, of course, with shipping, when you're out at sea, uh, the, the shipping routes are, are very well defined between big headlands on the uh, continents. So, of course, all of the shipping for, for the Straits of Malacca and going through to the South China Sea, through Singapore and all that sort of thing, um, so heading, heading underneath Indi India and from the, um, the area of, of the Red Sea even, they would come under Sri Lanka and head directly for the top of, uh, of the Strait of Malacca. And they would, they would be exactly on the 6th degree north latitude. And that was our course as well, to get to Sri Lanka. So we found ourselves in a pretty busy shipping lane. And to be honest, um, Franz, when you got close to the shipping lane, you were never without sight of a vessel at any one time. Hmm, a lot uh, of uh, ships there. Out, out, out in the open ocean. And, and quite often, you could actually see the defined lanes. You could see two or three or even four ships heading heading east and about a mile separation. You could then see the other ships heading west. And um, quite often you had half a dozen ships in sight at any one time. So yes, an awful lot of shipping. But what we ended up doing is just sort of altering course slightly south. And we went sort of five miles, 10 miles to the south or so on the whole to, um, to keep away from the shipping. All right. Now, where did you um, uh, where did you make landfall in Sri Lanka? We made landfall again right on the south tip. Is a Matara Matara Matara. Well, there's a um, a town or a, a, a um, uh, yeah, I guess a town or a city called Gaul, G A L L E. Okay. And um, a good harbor there, um, which is very yep. well protected as well. Yep. I um, see so it, yeah. yeah, we. Yeah, that was our that was our landfall, and um, but what was interesting a lot with the shipping, a nice little story I've got uh, is that um, most of us, as far as sailors go, tend to have most of our stories are, are fairly um, very much scare stories or negative stories about getting close shaves with uh, with our big um, big brother um, ships on the ocean. Uh, Whereas <coughs> one day we were sort of sailing along, and obviously during the night with with 
started to head north again slightly on course and come close to the shipping lane. And we had one ship pass us on our starboard side and, and actually steam past us. But then about so 15 minutes later, I saw that it had turned right angles to our path, quite a, you know, a mile or two ahead. And then it started going the opposite direction on our port side, and it effectively did a 360 around us. And then it steamed up on our leeward side and came up uh, quite close. And all the crew were lined up on the sort of the back rail there. And, uh, of course, we didn't have VHF at this point. So, uh, obviously, the officer on watch got a big um, loud hailer megaphone out <laughs> and uh, shouted down, Hey, you! Are you okay? <laughs> <coughs> Literally, they must have thought we were some sort of beach cap blown out to sea from Penang or something like that. And uh, must have been sort of pretty desperate and surviving on, uh, on eating our toenails or something like that. So... So they were quite concerned, and it was lovely. It was like it was the first ship that's ever sort of I've, I've never known to do that to actually just alter its own course and come and check that we were okay and that we were actually out where we where we should be. Um, and the, the actual name of the boat was called Fellowship. Oh wow! Um, okay, was was just so apt as well. Um, so uh, so yeah, we were able to basically wave at them and. Uh, <coughs> and make it understood we were all okay and at the point I, I just had code flags aboard so I hoisted uh, the code flags to say you know we do not need assistance and uh, then another set of code flags to sort of say that uh, we wish you a pleasant voyage so that was the uh, the extent of my communications back with them <laughs> well Rory yeah. we've gone on for about an hour let's call it a day yeah. and next time we get together we'll start from Gal in Sri Lanka and continue on from there. How does that sound? Yep, that sounds good. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying reliving the journey. And uh, and a lot of our listeners are enjoying it as well. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks, friends. Talk to you later, Rory. Okay, cheers, bye. Cheers. All right, that was our in interview for today with Rory. Do me a favor if you like this podcast, go in and rate it in iTunes. If you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions. Drop me an email, franz at medsailor.com, and uh, franz1, excuse me, franz1 at medsailor.com. I appreciate notes from, from my listeners. Get out there and go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future.